Amen. It is good to be back with you today, whether you're online or you're either, we're in the room together. It is good to do this on Sundays together. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, you're checking us out, you're just seeing what's going on at One Hope, we are in the middle of a series. We're in the middle of a series titled The Invitation, and it's pretty simple. What we're going through is that God is inviting us to a different kind of life. The invitation is about God inviting us to give ourselves to him. The invitation is about understanding he's inviting us to understand that his way of living is the best way to live. That's what the invitation is. And so we kicked off this series on Easter morning talking about Jesus. And it set the, kind of, set the foundation of what this series is about. That Jesus was meeting with the, this group of religious leaders and they're having a meal together. And he's saying to them pretty simply is God is preparing a party. He's preparing a feast. He's preparing a banquet. That's what he says. And they are invited. So he's sitting in that room and he's telling them something is coming. Something is different. Something is going to be for you. And it's happening soon. And they are invited. But in order to experience what God's bringing them, they have to say yes to the invitation. That's what we're talking about. They have to say yes to the invitation, but he warns them. If you remember what that story is about, he warns them that people make excuses. This is the story of humanity. People make excuses. There are going to be large groups of people who are going to reject this information, uh, invitation. But when they do, they're missing out. When they reject this invitation, they are going to miss out. When we reject what God's bringing, we are missing out on the greatest invitation that you will ever get in life. And so on Easter, it was about saying yes to the invitation of Jesus. Saying yes to the invitation of Jesus, that he's inviting us to himself. Believing in him giving our lives to him because he gave his life, his life for us. That was Easter Sunday, but then last week, I pushed it one step further. If you were part of this, you, you know I pushed it one step further that I want us to own a truth that says there's a difference between believing in Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. See, when we say yes to Jesus, something changes. When we say yes to the invitation, this is bigger than a simple yes. He is inviting us to an agenda that is best for us. That when we say yes to Jesus, he gets to set the agenda for our lives and is the best thing for us and the first thing on his agenda is for us to be his disciple. Now, now if you didn't hear that message, you can always go back and, and watch it, listen to it, but essentially that invitation was to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. This is what a disciple looks like. It always starts with relationship, and that's where we get it wrong. It doesn't start with doing, it starts with being. To be with Jesus 
then will lead to a life where we just begin to live out what we saw in Jesus' life. And this is an incredible invitation. I, I wanted us to walk home last week with the understanding that this is not a burdensome invitation. This is not a weight of an invitation. This is not an expectation of you better. This is for you. This is an invitation that changes our lives and how we live. And it's an incredible, incredible life. But now we go on to week three. And we go on to week three, we're going to continue to engage in that thought process. That when we are, spend time with Jesus, becoming his disciple, some things will change in our lives. You remember, that's what I said, when we spend time with Jesus, things begin to change, like our character changes. Um, our passions change. Our perspectives change. Our, our motivations begin to change in life as we become more like Jesus. Well, today's scripture is going to carry that theme out. And today's scripture may stretch us some. I want to warn you at the beginning that it's, it may stretch us some. And it may evoke some emotion. Because I think this is going to be really personal, and it's not, it's not an abstract thought. It's a thought that is going to meet you in your every day. That for quite a few of you, this may cause you to be uncomfortable. Can I tell you why I say that? It's because as I've prepared this week, there have been some uncomfortable moments for me, some convictional moments for me, some kind of in-your-face moments for me. As I read this scripture and even prepared to share it with you, God was like, no, you first, Scott. You first. And so be ready for that thought or emotion of maybe God wants to turn and change and maybe stretch us today. We're going to go John 8. So if you got your Bibles, you got your phones, you can read on the screen. We're going to go to John 8. And what you're going to see is a clear picture. It's a, contra a contrasting picture of the heart of man versus the consistent heart of of Jesus. What you're going to see is maybe a picture of what the, uh, the heart of this world is versus the heart of the kingdom of God. And so can we go John 8? Let's read this together, okay? At dawn, verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down. And he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life 
of sin. Okay, so what we do here, if you're not part of this, is uh, most weeks I'm going to be like, hey, let's jump into this story, okay? How we take the most truth out of what we read in Scripture is to put ourselves in the place of Scripture. So let's jump into it, and you're in the temple, okay? You're in the temple, and Jesus is teaching. This isn't an uncommon thing for Jesus to do. He goes to the temple. He teaches. Most nights he would go back to the Mount of Olives and typically a place called Bethany and he would stay there and then the morning comes he would walk down that side of the mountain into Jerusalem and he would teach to anybody who's willing to listen. So there you are. Picture yourself in the temple. The Pharisees, they would have known this routine. Okay? They would have known what Jesus did most days. So they come in. They come in, storming in, causing a scene, and they throw this girl in front of the crowd, including Jesus. Now, as you're in the story, can you imagine the intensity? Can you feel, can you put yourself in that place where you would feel the intensity of that space? You've got a woman who's being exposed, her whole life is being exposed right in front of this group. You've got a woman who doesn't know, are these the last moments I'm going to see on this earth? And then you've got these religious people seething in their arrogance. And then you've got Jesus. You've got the woman, you've got the religious, you've got Jesus. And in his infinite wisdom, he sees what's going on here. See, the religious people are using this woman to trap him. It doesn't seem like they care about the sin. Because if they cared about the sin, the question is then where is the man? If they cared about the sin, then the law would have been bring both involved in the adultery, bring them out and call this out. They don't bring him. So it doesn't seem like they care that much about the law. What they're trying to do is maybe use this woman to destroy the ministry and life of Jesus. The woman's almost collateral damage in this. And because of this, they think they have Jesus in a no-win situation. Once again, let's picture ourselves in this. Jesus, as, as these religious leaders are staring at him, it's like we've got him trapped. No win situation. Because on one hand, let's say he agrees with them. This woman needs to be stoned. Well, he's in trouble now with the Romans. Because you can't have this unsanctioned... Uh, stoning and killing of a woman in public like this, like that's not going to go over well even if it is the Jewish law. So he's in trouble if he agrees with them, but then if he disagrees, then the Pharisees have the ability to go to all the Jewish communities and say, hey, this guy that's getting attention, he doesn't care about our way. He doesn't care about our rules. He doesn't care about what's right before God. So this is a really delicate situation. You may have heard this story many times, but do you understand the intensity? Do you understand the delicate nature of this? Do you see and feel what's going on? But in this moment, no matter how intense, no matter how delicate, 
What I see in Jesus in this moment is one of the many things I love about him. As intensity fills the air, as everyone watches this aggressive move against this woman in Jesus, what does he do? He pauses. Intensity. Put on the spot. He's got to feel the pressure. What does he do? He pauses. And he begins to write in the sand, in the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. Lots of people have lots of guesses. There's plenty of things that people have said, but there's nothing verifying what he actually wrote. But there he is, pausing. And then he looks up. He looks up and he speaks with such precision. He speaks with such precision that that this moment is going to be bigger than just this moment. Because it's a message that's going to send ripple effects all into eternity. It's sending ripple effects even into our church today. What he says changes everything. What this message he says is gives clarity uh, what the kingdom of God works like versus the, what the world looks like. It gives a clear picture and clarity of the heart of Jesus versus the heart of man. He is setting an example for us to follow in this story. He's giving a picture of why he's different than what you see in the world. He's giving a picture that maybe God is different than a lot of people think he is. Now, why I think the movement of Christianity, why I think regular people were drawn to Jesus, but the Pharisees hated him, is because what I see in this moment, and what I see in this moment, is Jesus was driven by grace not only the law. Jesus was driven by grace, not only the rules. Jesus was driven by a deep-seated, heart-filled, mission-filled, purpose-filled grace, not just by the law, or as we would understand it, the rules. And because of that, Jesus gives us another invitation. Because of that, we have an invitation today from Jesus. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to say yes to his invitation to live a life of grace. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to say yes to the invitation to live a life of grace. And I told you at the beginning, this has stretched me this week. I begin to filter life differently when I begin to walk through these scriptures. To be honest, just preparing for you. Preparing to share this. I'm like, Scott, you've got to grab a hold of this because you have to have integrity, not perfection, but integrity that you are trying to live this out first. And this will stretch us because our natural heart, the broken side of Scott, the broken side of you, does not live out this same heart naturally the way we see Jesus. We aren't naturally driven by grace. Do you know that about yourself? I know that about myself. 
Now, I want to make sure we're going in the same direction when I say grace. When I say grace, I don't mean a cheap version of grace that says, you know, like, I don't really care and I avoid reality of the situation. When I say grace, I don't mean just suck it up and tolerate whatever. When I say grace, I don't mean just shut down and never speak truth. That's not what I'm talking about, grace. When I say grace, I think there's just a different way to live that I see in Jesus. But I don't mean something that just closes our eyes to what's really happening in front of us. I mean, look at the end of the story. Look at that last moment, the last line that Jesus says to this woman. What does he say? Sin no more. Jesus calls this woman to sin no more. Jesus calls this woman to leave the life that she is living. But the difference in how Jesus does it and how often we live our life is a counterculture kind of way. How he lives that out is he's doing it in a way that redeems people, not destroys people. How he, how he corrects, how he lives in her life, how he speaks to her is done in a way that doesn't destroy her, it redeems her. He's doing it in a way that there is still a hope for a future in him. He's doing it with a depth of grace because that's who he is. So when I say grace, what I mean is an intentional lifestyle where we begin living out the character of grace that we see in Jesus. Because I think there's a way to live a balance of having convictions and beliefs, but also having this character of grace that has set the example for us through Jesus. But I often wonder if we even have a full view of grace. I wonder sometimes that we shrink grace down to one word. And what word do we think about when we see or hear the word grace? Forgiveness, right? When we think grace, we think forgiveness. But what I want to bring to the table today is that maybe grace is bigger than forgiveness. See, grace isn't just about forgiveness. Maybe grace is played out in your life when you give the benefit of the doubt to somebody. Maybe the grace that God is calling you to is not just forgiveness, but giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the grace that God's going to call you to is waiting to cast judgment until you have talked to the person directly. Maybe grace for you is realizing that other people have their experiences that have shaped their perspectives. And maybe we can learn from each other versus judging each other. Maybe the grace that Jesus wants to grow in us is that we need to want the best for someone even if we don't agree with the decisions that they're making in life. Maybe the grace that God is calling us to is caring about someone more than we care about being right. Maybe the grace that God is calling us to that we see in Jesus is just making space for the imperfect. 
Like this is grace bigger than forgiveness. And we see this in the life of Jesus. If we're still pulling, because maybe you're a hardcore truth, kind of like you've got to say, and you're like, grace is really difficult. Scott, I'm not sure I'm with you right now. Can I continue to push on the life of Jesus? I think of Jesus when he washes the feet of Judas right before he knows he's going to betray him. That's grace. Being patient with Peter as he makes one unwise decision after another, but still accepts him, still calls him to follow him. That is grace. What about to James and and John? As he walks slowly with them as they are struggling with understanding how to love the Samaritans the way Jesus has called him to. Called them to. That they don't quite get it. And they still have this hardcore kind of hate towards these people. And Jesus is trying to walk them through this. He doesn't cast them out. He doesn't just do away with them. He walks through them to help change their heart. That is grace at its finest. I could go on and on and on of stories where Jesus lives out life differently than we, the way we do. Like, this story in John 8 isn't the story of grace. It's another story of grace of Jesus' life. And if this is how Jesus lived, If this is truly the story of Jesus' life, then I believe he's inviting us to emulate that. I think he's inviting us to copy that. I believe he's calling us, inviting us to become more like him and living a life of grace. I think grace needs to be a central piece of our story and how people see us live. And there's two reasons. There's two reasons I think this is really important. I think when this becomes who we are, then it gives us freedom, okay? It gives us freedom from the seat of judgment. I think it gives us freedom from the seat of anger. I think when we live out and embrace this life of grace and God changes, it removes us from the seat of resentment. It removes us from the seat of gossip. It removes us from these seats so we can sit in the seat of love. But the second thing is, is if we will embrace this lifestyle, I think God can use our lives to point people to Jesus and the love and grace he has in a way that when we don't live this out, when we don't copy the life of Jesus, it actually ends up putting walls between other people and Jesus because they want nothing to do with a man that we say we're all about. When our picture is not the picture we see of Jesus in Scripture. So John is just one of many stories of this character trait of Jesus. But there's a reason I wanted to pull this story out. The reason I wanted to pull it out is because I think there's three kind of perspectives of grace. There's three parts of grace that need to be experienced by us or grown in us. There are three pictures of grace that I want us to have. And the first one is grace from Jesus to us. Okay, this is the grace that we know about. This is the grace that we talk about. This is the grace that church will bring all the time, right? 
but I want to bring it again. And John gives an amazing picture of this heart of grace from Jesus. Once again, this moment is intense, delicate, filled with just pressure. But I don't believe that Jesus struggled at one moment of how he was going to respond. I actually don't believe him writing in the sand was like, I got to gather my thoughts. No, I think that the default response of Jesus is of grace. I think he knew the whole time how he was going to respond. But I don't think that woman expected Jesus to be on her side. I think this woman was expecting a harsh judgment on her life. I mean, y'all, what else should she expect? Her religious experience, the picture of the religious people, was probably one where she was going to be dealt with harshly. But then Jesus looks at her. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. She, in this moment, was on the other end of grace that Jesus is always trying to give. He gave it to her, and it's the same grace he's trying to give us. And I don't know your view of God today. I don't know your experience with Christianity today. But if you've never been told, or you have forgotten, Jesus wants to give you grace no matter what you've done. The grace that Jesus wants to give is not predicated on what you have done. Because you and I are this woman, undeserving but receiving undeserving but on the other end of an endless amount of grace do you not think you're worthy of grace the grace of Jesus today good because we're not but can I tell you that's not the point it's not about our worthiness It's not about our worthiness. This story is about Jesus. It's not about our worthiness or not worthiness, how we think about grace. This story is about Jesus and what he does. And maybe today you need to be reminded that the only thing that separates you from the grace of Jesus is the willingness to ask and accept. Jesus is not the problem. Oftentimes the problem is our humility willing to ask and receive. So maybe today, I don't know what seat you sit in. I don't know what is going on behind the scenes from this moment. But maybe today you need to own your sins and let Jesus say to you and me, I do not condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. That may be your story this morning. That you need to understand that God's grace is so much bigger than we often give him credit. John 3:17 is simple. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, "I have not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world." This is the heart of Jesus. And maybe today you need a fresh start. 
Will you, will we ask for the grace of God to be extended in our life today? But that's not the only grace that I want us to see. That's not the only grace picture I want us to see in this story. The second kind of grace is a grace from us to others. That's the second kind of grace in this story. How have you been at forgiving lately? Come on. How have you been at forgiving lately? And then let's move it past the forgiveness to the list that I gave earlier. How have you been at giving the benefit of the doubt? How have you been at waiting to cast judgment on somebody until you talk to them or know it firsthand? How have you been at realizing that other people, other people have different perspectives and different experiences and that maybe we have something to learn from them versus judging them. How have you been at wanting the best for someone even when you don't agree with the decisions they're making or who they are in the moment? How are you at caring about people more than caring about being right? And I'll say, how are we today at creating space for the imperfect in other people? The question is, or the, the thought is, we have received the grace of Jesus, but how are we at giving it out? Do people see the grace of God in your life? Do they see the grace of Jesus coming through your life? Are they drawn to Jesus, the love and grace of Jesus, because of how they see you've been transformed into the likeness of Jesus? Maybe your prayer today is, God, help me be more like Jesus in how I live out my grace. But I said there's one more. This is the last one. And this one may be personal and maybe unexpected, but maybe the one that you struggle most with. The third grace I see in this potentially is the grace from us to ourselves. Us to ourselves. Do you beat yourself up every day? Do you still carry guilt from something you did 10 months ago, 10 years ago? Have you begged God to forgive you, but you haven't felt that forgiveness because you can't let yourself off the hook? Sometimes we are way worse to ourselves than we are to other people. Any chance you're that person? Has it ever been you? I look at the story and I look at this woman and I go, is she receiving the grace of Jesus? I hope. I don't know the end of the story. Is she going to pour out grace to these religious leaders who treated her wrong? I don't know. I don't know the end of the story. But then I also ask, I wonder if she's going to forgive herself after Jesus forgives. I don't know. But I want to ask you, will you forgive yourself? Now, if you haven't brought it to God yet, then I need you to go back to step one, yeah? But if you have, have you forgiven yourself? If you've asked God to forgive you, can you leave it wherever you sit today and just walk away? Will you be able to leave that guilt, that weight of sin and say, I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to walk into the freedom that Jesus wants to give you. Maybe the biggest growth that you have to go through is not even understanding the grace of God. Even forgiving others and, and pouring grace into others, maybe it's yourself. Maybe act like Jesus to yourself. Because that's where the weight is. 
I want us to think about grace. I want us to use this story to examine our life about grace as we leave today. I want us to take it in this moment. Then I want us to walk it out this week. Ask yourself, are you living out the grace of Jesus? I'm sorry, are you living in the grace of Jesus today? Are you extending the same grace to others that you received in Jesus? And are you extending that grace to yourself? From God to you, from you to others, and you to yourself. Listen, hear me on this. Hear me on this. God is so good to us. By sending Jesus to us, he's extended the most amazing amount of grace to you that you'll ever receive from anybody. It isn't earned, it isn't deserved, but it's given out of love for you. Are you responding to that grace by receiving it? And are you responding to that grace after we receive it by extending it? The simple question this morning is this. Will you say yes to an invitation to live a life of grace from Jesus? I want to end today with um, just a song of worship. I want to end today by just kind of celebrating the goodness of God, but also for you to own where you sit in this seat. And so you bow your heads as we pray today. God, thank you for sending, sending your son Jesus for two reasons, that we get to be on the receiving end of grace. But God, thank you that we also have the example of how to live out grace through our lives. God, I believe you want to change our lives through grace. And God, if there is anybody in this room who has not received, anybody who's watching online that has not received the grace that comes from Jesus. Heavenly Father. I pray that we would just be people that ask for forgiveness and live in that forgiveness. God, forgive me for my sins. I accept how you love me and gave your life for me. God, I want to give my life to you and live in that grace. But God, I pray it would extend beyond that. God, I pray it would go so much further than that. I pray it wouldn't stop in just receiving your grace. But I pray that we would extend the grace the amazing, to the amazing amount that you've given to us. God, may we extend it to other people and may we extend it to ourselves. And understand that, God, we don't need to hold anything against ourselves that you're no longer holding against us. And so today, as we end in worship, God, may we know how amazing you are, how good you are to us, but God, may that be motivating to us to live out everything you've done in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.